We're Ready Football Podcast. David Lawson alongside Stefan Hausen here to break down our thoughts from last week's opening weekend of the EPL. Talk about the big game, Chelsea versus Liverpool. And, you know, give our thoughts on some, you know, more than interesting signings happening at Spurs. And ask the question, who's the worst run club? Manchester United or Barcelona? I know Stefan has said Barcelona is the worst run team. But, you know, after Rio Ferdinand's comments, you have to ask the question, are Manchester United giving them a run for the worst run club? Anyway, what's up, Stefan? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? Not bad, not bad at all. Looking forward to football as always. I'm looking forward to the EPL more than you are, but hey, that's just how it is. That would always be the case. Yes, you know, I just wanted to talk to people, you know. We're, we're mostly going to focus on the EPL uh, because the EPL is what drives listeners. That's what people want to hear. So that's what we're going to talk about most of the time. That's so, right. Stefan, when we talk about the opening weekend of the EPL, tell me good or bad things that jumped out at you uh good or bad can i say neutral <laughs> because <laughs> all right tell me something that jumped out at you something that you just said oh this is something uh well something that jumped out to me that i kind of initially predicted was um the way how chelsea looked they got the result against brighton 3-1 but i don't particularly think they played very well they looked quite disjointed to me um, that's one of the reasons I didn't have them in my top four prediction last week. That received a lot of criticism from a lot of hurt Chelsea fans. <laughs> just want to point out, Chelsea fans, I like all the signings. I like the team. I just think there might be some issues with gelling. And despite the result last week, I think I feel a bit vindicated by that. Well, we'll get more of a view of Chelsea against Liverpool. What jumped out at me was I didn't believe my cousin Frank Lampard was going to play that system, trying to play a magic square system, which, you know, popularized in Brazil. I didn't think Frank Lampard had the players, nor did I think he, as a coach, had the aptitude to pull it off. And watching them against Brighton, both questions were answered that he didn't. So it'll be shocking to me if he tries to do that against Liverpool. I just really didn't understand it. I think Chelsea's signings and everything, it seems pretty straightforward what they should do. And they don't really need to reinvent the wheel. I think they just need to just go with a 4-3-3. Very simple. Try and get Callum Hudson-Odoi, a player that I really like. Try and get him on the wing. So you have width on one side. You try and get a central wing on the other side. And by central winger, a phrase coined by Michael Cox from zonal marking, you know, those, those wide players like Amaris, David Silva, players who would play on the wing but would come inside and make plays. You, you have that play on the right-hand side. You play Kai behind Werner, and you should be and you should be all right. That's what I believe. Should be, but um, as you said, your cousin seems to want to experiment. And we did see him do some experiments last year until he kind of went back to a tried and trusted system with Giroud coming back in and the results picked up. So we'll see how long he decides to go with his magic square. As you said, I don't expect to see him um, go with it against Liverpool on Sunday. If he does and they get the results, then <laughs> hey, a Absolutely. fair play. I, I, I did say on my Twitter that if Chelsea do come top four after essentially bringing in a new team with Frank Lard looking like he wants to start over the whole a lot. Um, the whole system that he's building, then he might just be the best ever. <laughs> that would be incredible. I haven't seen a manager work the magic square 
in England yet. And I just don't think he has the technicians to pull it off. I think Jorginho is a fantastic midfielder. And even he, I don't think, can do it. Because you just need mobility and switchability. Players that can instantly change from positions. And you need to have attackers that can go from left to right, can dribble. It's just far too complicated. I think Werner can do it. But I don't think they have another player that can do it. And you just need to just simplify it. And you don't need to try and reinvent the wheel, as I previously stated. So that did jump out at me. But they got the result. Uh, what else jumped out at me was Leeds. You know, Leeds got everybody excited. Many people thought that they would have gotten the result against Liverpool, you know, 3-3. Some defensive mistakes on both sides. And this is something that always jumps out at me, but people never say it. When there's an exciting game like that, 4-3, which it ended in favor of Liverpool, you need to have a ton of defensive errors. And that's what happens. Yeah. You need defensive errors to meet some quality. And when defensive errors meet quality, you get that sort of exciting game. We saw Salah's goal, and we saw Leeds being able to create chances and got them enough, enough competitive balance against Liverpool for almost 90 minutes. But all in all, uh, I definitely thought that jumped out at me how poor Liverpool's defense was against Leeds. And that's why I definitely think when we get into a preview, I don't, I think Chelsea has a good chance against them. Um, you know, my, my favorite player, Trent, <laughs> he didn't have a very good game. Um, Gomez didn't have a very good game. Van Dijk didn't have a very good game. So it'll be interesting. So that did jump out at me how Leeds were able to be competitive against uh, Liverpool. Yeah, agreed. Um, especially considering they didn't really go with that much of a, a changed team from the championship run. But Leeds are a good team, never a great manager, I think. Um, a lot of people are on the bandwagon of um, Bielsa. He's known as someone who's inspired a lot of the top young coaches in the world over the years. So it wasn't surprising to see how they approached the game. But uh, Liverpool's defence looked like they were still on vacation, which I don't blame them because they were on vacation two weeks ago. Yeah, another thing that jumped out at me was the fact that Manchester United and Manchester City didn't play. So, yeah, that, kind of, that's, that surprised me. I didn't realize that was happening and it kind of put a downplay on the weekend. When it was postponed, I was like, wow, is there a coronavirus breakout? <laughs> was a COVID breakout in Manchester? Is that the reason? And yeah. then I heard, you know, obviously the reason being that they had both got knocked out a little bit later. In Europe, that made sense. But yeah, I, I had completely forgotten that. Yeah, so, you know, man time, just as I said, travel. So those jumped out. Of course, you know, William jumped out to me in terms of the fact that not William, the football player, jumped out at me, but the, the, the fan reaction, the euphoria, the <laughs> fact that, wow, he had two assists, three assists for fantasy. Oh, my God. Woo! What are we going to do? Fulham, this amazing trash team. And he got his assists. And as I said, you know, William, Arsenal fans will learn. I don't want to kick Arsenal fans because... You know, this might sound disrespectful. They're just not worth it to keep because Arsenal is not a top team, you know. You yeah. can spend it any way you like it. They're not, they're not in the Champions League. So there's no reason. I don't believe they have many um, players for me to really analyze. William, hey, he had, a good t he had a good game for an eighth place team trying to get to six. That's, that's, that's what I saw. So yeah. Arsenal jumping out with euphoria. Um, congratulations on beating Fulham. Yeah, a couple of Arsenal fans jumped out to me after. Because I, I have said that I don't really think the William transfer changes anything for Arsenal. I don't think he's a game changer. So after the game, a couple of fans came to me. Does this change your mind? No, he had a good game. Obviously, I'll give him props for that. Uh, I'll never discredit a player for playing well. 
he played well. Do I expect him to play well 38 games after the season? No, because he's never done that. 30 games, no. 20 games, no. 15 <laughs> games, no. 10 games, maybe. William is a type of player that he'll get those two assists. They'll go down on his record. First game of the season, he got two assists. We might be going to the 10th game of the season and he might still have three assists. That's just the type of player he is. He goes on flashes and he shows signs of brilliance, but he's never been consistent. So I'm not expecting him to be consistent. If he does, hey, I'll hold my hands up. Hey, his first, his first assist for fantasy, for those that play fans, it was a missed kick shot. Another one was from a set piece. And, and the other one was he just made a pass across field. Good pass, I'm not giving a credit. And yep. Obama Young scored a fantastic goal. So like, hey, you know. Speaking of Obama Young, he finally signed the, he signed the thing. So um, he's now definitely staying at Arsenal for the next couple of years. Highest paid player at the club. Yeah, and I still think even after his goal, and I'll be saying it again, unless Arsenal finish higher than six, and they, they are like neck and neck there with the Champions League position, I'm going to say that this is a mistake signing. If, you know, hey, they run close to fourth and they just miss out and he has another 20-plus goal season, I'll be like, hey, I understand. Yep. With him, they needed him to make that run. But if they don't make that run, this is just a huge, huge error. Yeah. The, the reaction to that signing or how we're going to judge it is based on where they finish. If they finish in top four, yep, they were right, <laughs> 100%. They were right. All right, well, that jumped out. But, you know, jumping out this weekend, of course, you know, you have to look at the fact that we have the big game between Chelsea and Liverpool. But another huge game is West Bromwich Albert, Albion versus Everton. Now, that's, that's what you call must-see. <laughs> first, first game of the weekend, I believe. James looked good last week, actually. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really want to talk about Everton versus West Brom. Congrats <laughs> to Everton for getting a win against a horrible Spurs team. Oh. I would have said Spurs looking horrible jumped out at me, but I don't, have much, I don't have much respect for Spurs. I don't want to save some of my Spurs thoughts when we get into their, their recent signings. I feel like but, it yeah. jumped out that they looked horrible. That was expected. <laughs> yeah, that, that team that they put out. But, but let, the game that's really... Important this weekend. Uh, first, you know, super game for the EPL season. You're talking about Chelsea versus Liverpool. What are your expectations of that game, and do you have a prediction? Uh, prediction as of right now, I don't because I'm still. Is Thiago Silva back for Chelsea? Is Ben Chilwell back for Chelsea? I, I don't really know. So I don't really have a hard prediction right now. I'd obviously give the edge to Liverpool simply because I believe they have the offense to, to challenge any defense. But with that defense they showed against Leeds, anything could happen. Well, Chilwell and, and Thiago both trained today. So that is good news, but we don't know if they're going to play. You oh, know, so there might be a chance. Interesting. Um, but at the same time, it, as I said, uh, when it comes to these games, I think it comes down to we have to see the lineup first. I think with Liverpool, we pretty much know the lineup that they're going to play. Yeah. So there's no surprise there. Whereas 35-year-old Thiago Silva and Ben Chilwell, new left-back, they haven't played for Chelsea yet. But the game is at Chelsea, but who knows, man? Without fans there and the, the whole, the whole, we're in a whole new world, right? So we don't need to, we can't really get into the whole, the, 
the fact of how they're home game advantage is kind of taken out at the point the way I see it. Yeah, exactly. Because we saw with Leeds at Liverpool, it didn't even feel like it was a Liverpool home game. So that that doesn't really play play into it. You know, Thiago, I definitely think um, Ben Chilwell will help out. Um, Thiago, we'll see. He's 35. I'm not sure if he's at the end or if he has another year left. But I think he comes. I think this game is just more about Chelsea. If Chelsea try to overcomplicate things, they're go, they're going to be in trouble. They try that magic square stuff again. I just don't. I just don't see it. I just don't. I just don't understand why they would do that. Like Mason Mount, for me, I'll, I'll say it again. Mason Mount just looks like a West Ham level football player for me. I see nothing in him. There's just nothing there. I guess people will say he's hardworking, but I'm just not the type of person that gives football players credit for working hard. I just, I think majority of them work hard. Just some look like they're working harder than others. Part and Maybe part those ones that don't look like they're working as hard are because they are working smarter, not dumber. Yeah. No, it's interesting for sure. I, when, when I think back to that Brighton game and I think of that magic square, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Crystal, Crystal Palace is the only season he's ever played well for me. Mason Mount, I liked him at Derby. I thought he started off well last year, but my ratings for him are slowly etching away. I still think I have him higher than you do, but... I don't see how he fits into this team. And he definitely doesn't fit into, a, into that square formation where you said earlier there needs to be able to be, have the ability to move out of position, get into new positions, and keep everything ticking. They don't have that ability. Jorginho is very stagnant, very good player. Kante is not technical enough to have any real impact. I forgot he was playing against Brighton for the most part. So, yeah, if you go into that game and you think of that midfield, they do the same things. Liverpool should have comfortably all of the ball. Speaking of Mason Mount, he doesn't dribble past your opponent. He's not super fast. He's not a genius with the ball, so he's not going to make a ton of through passes. Uh, he doesn't score a ton of goals. He doesn't boss a midfield, so he's not going to dictate the tempo of the game. He's not great in tight spaces. So what else is there? What else is there really like? What else is there? What else is what is he to be good at for him to be a top player? So I don't I just don't see it. You know, I'm, I, when it comes to Mason Mount, Mason Mount is you, you're making an order. He he's the kind of guy you go to the restaurant, they tell you what they don't have, right? And you order what they do have. He when you look at Mason Mount, he he you think he might have this, you think he might have that, but he doesn't. And it might seem like I'm picking on him because he's very young, but I just don't see the technical brilliance. And that's just going to be a problem. As it relates to Ruben Loftus-Cheek, he just looks like a tank with some, he has some silky moves here and there. But again, it's just like with Mason, I don't know what position they can play to really impact the game. I don't know where they can, what system they can really play in and be, be talented football players that can dominate at the highest level. I do think Chelsea has a chance because they gave Kante does play very well against Liverpool. That's a team that he always finds some form of form against. And Chelsea did play Liverpool well last year. So I fully expect them, if they can defend a little bit better, they should, and Liverpool defend like how they defended last week against Leeds, Chelsea have a very good chance. Yeah, but again, you have to see the lineup before you can make a prediction. The good thing about the Chelsea... Um, team coming Sundays, they will have Kovacic back, who is a player who is definitely the, probably the most technical aspect of their midfield. 
Uh, I remember seeing a stat not too long ago that he was one of the top dribblers in midfield for last season. So he'll add that to them. So I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a change of shape um, on Sunday or we see Kovacic coming in. Or where it is, though. So there's rumors saying that he might play the Magic Square again, but he will play with two strikers. He'll play, he'll bring in Tammy Abraham. So Tammy and Vernon up front. That probably makes a lot of sense. Going back to the Brighton game, the one player who I did think looked good was Timo Werner. He got a few offside calls, but we can see why they brought him in. He lo- loves to play off a defender. His movement was good, and he was getting a lot of space. So for that aspect of it, I think he looks good to go. But it's just figuring out how they're going to play a system that allows him to score the goals that they need him to score. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to learn a lot about Chelsea this weekend and how and if Liverpool is going to live up to my prediction of taking a step or so back. But for that prediction to come through, <laughs> the, the player that I rate so highly, Thiago Alcantara, is just going to have to have one of those adjustment years in the EPL because that seems to be done. So what are your thoughts on Thiago to Liverpool? Uh, potential game changer. Definitely a potential game changer. I had Liverpool um, second in my prediction last week. I definitely have to rethink it now because Thiago's the type of player who I think can come into the club system and make not only an adjustment, but he can evolve that team so much. One of my main complaints, or not, I wouldn't say complaints, one of my drawbacks against Klopp when he was at Dortmund started off fantastic, but I think he was so stuck with his philosophy and he didn't want to evolve it in any way, shape, or form that it went stale. We saw players like Lewandowski, Goetze, leave and state quite openly they wanted to evolve as players. I think Liverpool have now gotten to the point where they've plateaued and the only way they can go with this current philosophy is down. So bringing in a player like Thiago, who still is a player who loves to get into duels, loves to win the ball back, has always had an impact there. But his offensive acumen, his ability to pass and dictate play is so great compared to what the current Liverpool options are. It's a game changer. It could make a big difference. And I thought against Arsenal in the community shield and against Leeds, we saw why Liverpool needed to make a change some way, not maybe a drastic one, but they needed to make some change in that midfield to keep this team at the level they want to be at. Very good. Um, just to simplify what you're saying, if you can add one of the 10 best football players in the world, you definitely do that. Liverpool's midfield, which was good systematically, has now gotten the best midfielder in the world. So no, no not only do they have an elite system, they have an elite player. And I think Fabinho is a fantastic defensive midfielder. So now they definitely have four of the 10 best players in the EPL. Um, you know, so. Yeah, and they're yeah, adding, said, just to reach, they're adding, I, they're adding, I didn't think that they were going to win this year, but hey, Liverpool, okay, as I said. <laughs> they're, they're back in the thinking for sure for me. Uh, as, as you said, they've brought in one of the top players in the world. And just to reiterate, they're bringing in a, a top player that they don't have to drastically change to accommodate. And that is the sign of a great signing. When, when we talk about Thiago coming in, though, do you think now that Wijnaldum moves on to Barcelona? Well, Barcelona, depending on which source you listen to, don't have the money to make any kind of signings. 
Um, I see a lot of people saying that Thiago means the end of Jordan Henderson in the starting lineup for Liverpool. I would not be so sure. I think Jordan Henderson still will be a vital part of Liverpool's um, system. And I think Wijnaldum and Keita especially are the ones who will be worrying about game time when Thiago is there. Yeah, I think Thiago is really coming to basically be what they hoped Oxlade, Chamberlain and Keita would have been. And of course, you know, Oxlade, Chamberlain with his injuries and Keita just hasn't been able to get over the hump. It's just as he's not that he's never bad, but he's just hard to really find where he's good. And I think that he'll come in. Henderson, of course, you know, he's getting older. He's a captain. So he'll, he'll obviously get game time. So there will be some mixing and matching. Uh, definitely think that. If they keep Wijnaldum, I think that it will be a, a situation where they will rotate Wijnaldum, Thiago, and Henderson. Two of the three will play. Um, and of course, you know, the thing is with Henderson is that sometimes he can fill in for Fabinho, depending yeah. on the, the level of opposition. For sure. It is probably one of the best component midfields in the Premier League. Probably the best. When you yeah, consider yeah. that Man City... I saw, I saw it summed up the other day that Man City lost their best passing midfielder and Liverpool brought in the best passing midfielder. Yeah, so it's going to be... It's going to be City, I, I, I'm surprised City haven't brought in another attacker or another top player. That has really surprised me. I thought they would have, but they haven't. But they still have some time to do it. If not, I think you have to make Liverpool favourites. Um, that's just what a fantastic player he is. But speaking of transfer news, you have to get into Tottenham. Tottenham, who just looked absolutely brilliantly boring <laughs> and disgustingly lethargic and just frustrating if you're a Spurs fan. I didn't have Spurs in my top five. I didn't rate their team. Um, I do. I, I rate Eric Dyer a bit higher than you do, and I think in central defense he will be good for them. Uh, and I like the I like the fact that I like their central defense partnership. I don't like their fullbacks. I don't like their midfield, and I don't like their right wing. And I think Harry Kane has lost a step. And I don't and I don't like their bench. And you don't. And like they're caught five years stale. So I don't know what's happening. Yeah, um, Spurs, wow, they looked shocking, to say the least. Um, again, I had them in my top four just creeping in. Because when I look at the Spurs team, I say a lot of things I like. Um, I do like Matt Doherty at right back. I think he's a better right back than Serge Arjen. I thought he played well. Yeah, but that's not hard, though. That's not hard. In a league, but this is a league where it's flooded with right backs. And England are blessed with it, you could say... 10 good right-backs because if, uh, you know, Gary Lineker posted a team, if England, you could play a team of just right-backs and he had it right, Kyle Walker would be in goal. So <laughs> let's say we have 10 good right-backs, right? Yeah, I, like, it, I just, I, I just don't see, like, you, you need to have dynamic full-backs, players that can be that extra attacker and, and recover in defense. And I just don't see that. I well, really just don't. Based on their signings, they now have that in um, Sergio Reguilon, who they brought in from Real Madrid, who was at Sevilla last year. That should yes. be an immediate improvement at left back over Ben Davis, who Ben Davis looks like he won a competition to be a Spurs player for the weekend. Away, I, I, I just thought that Ben Davis was one of the coach's friends, and you know. <laughs> like uh, he was shocking. Um, what? actually really stood out to me for this Spurs team was um, Dele Alli. I know in our podcast last week, you said that Dele Alli was quite in a, 
I can't remember the exact phrasing he used. No, I, I will tell you what I said. He's just <laughs> not very good at football. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the only problem right now in life. He's just not very good at football. He's just not. And, and funnily enough, going back to their transfers, um, when, when the whole Gareth Bale to Spurs thing re-emerged at the start of the weekend, there was some rumours that they wanted to take Bale on loan and they were offering Dele Alli to Real Madrid on loan in exchange. And Real Madrid said, no, that's okay. You can just have Bale. Which makes perfect sense because the, what he showed against Everton, mind you, when Jose came in, Dele Ali started off well. And I said, hey, um, Jose does tend to like these type of goal-scoring mids. Maybe something's there. But he looks, he looks lost. There's bereft of ideas. He looked terrible against Everton. He's I a one-read passer. He sees a pass, and that's the only pass that he can make. Whether it is on or is not on, he's going to try and hit it. He doesn't go past you with a dribble. He doesn't create sh- shooting opportunities for others in interesting positions. The only thing he can do is run off the ball. Yeah, and at this point in time, Spurs have outgrown that. Like they, they need something different. I look, I look at that midfield, Hoiberg, who I think is a better player than Sissoko. Maybe not yeah. much better, but I think he's an improvement. Tahati at right back was an improvement. Rehigelon should be an improvement. And Gareth Bale, if you can get anything near to what Gareth Bale can do, is an improvement either behind Harry Kane for Deli Ali or over Lucas, who I still can't believe is starting for Spurs in 2020. Yes, Lucas is a bench option. Like, if you told me Lucas is your, a squad player for your team, I'd be like, okay. I mean, yeah, I can see that. So... But no, it's, it's a it's See, a look at, and then oh let's not forget about Harry Simple Winks. <laughs> Harry Simple Winks. You can't call it there's no wizardry in him, so there's no Harry Potter Winks. But Harry Simple Winks who who you know walks on the football field and jumps around and you see him here and there. Um, flittering about. Does a one turn makes a makes a one sideways. Um, being late, being late on tackles, so he has to be fly, sliding in. Yeah, um, little simple weeks. I, I don't know. I don't know what he he's another one of those players I just don't see much in. Um, so uh, he unfortunately for Harry Wings, the way how he wants to play is not bad because you need that type of player who can dictate the game, but he's just not skillful enough. Yeah. To play that position, you know, like like Michael Carrick wasn't skilled, wasn't like a skilled to play that position. But one, he was more skilled than Harry Sim, Harry Little Winks, um, <laughs> or Simple Winks. But yeah. but Michael Carrick had a range of passing. He could spray the ball so quickly, so he could make up. He could release the ball quickly, and he was in a system where the the game was always wide. He had tremendous amount of width, so he took advantage of his strongest asset. Uh, Harry Wings is playing in a system where the players are tucked in. There's not much mobility, and there's no interchanging of positioning. So, and he doesn't have a range of passing. So, every all of his shortcomings are shown, and he just, as I say, you know, he's a five out of ten type of football player, you know. But just to wrap it up with Spurs, at the end of the day, I don't even think at this point in time the problem is who they play. Well, it is who they play, but it's who is playing them. Because just going back to that midfield, Winks, Hoiberg, and Deli Ali, when you've invested so much money in Endombele, who's supposed to be a creative player, he hasn't shown anything for Spurs. 
we'll, we'll, we'll say that straight up, but he hasn't really been given the opportunity to do it. And then they have Steven Bergwijn, who they brought in in January, who I think is an exciting player, but he's still benching to Lucas. Like, it doesn't make sense, Jose. I think Jose was the, the choice for Levy because Levy thought his team still had some extra juice to squeeze out. They reached the Champions League final and Poch was like, all right, we need to essentially revamp this whole team if we want to go to another level. Levy didn't agree with it. He brought in Jose as the guy who has immediate success in his mind. But I don't see how Jose can be immediately successful with this team simply because it's not, it's not good enough. I don't know where Deli Ali plays. Just like with Mason Mount and Rubas Loftus-Cheek. They're positionless. But, least, but with them, at least I see a little bit more of... With Mount, you see a bunch of hard work. So you can say, okay, I can see where a manager can see something there. Rubas Loftus-Cheek, I can see that he has a shift on him. He's a, he's a bit quicker. He gets moving like a tank. Doesn't do anything else, but there's, there's that. Uh, Deli Ali, I just don't see it. Uh, and then when you look at Lo Celso, that's an interesting. For me personally, I would, I would have to give Endombele. That's what I call him because he looked like a dumb footballer last year in the few outings that I saw him. I would give him a try. I would play Lo Celso. I would go with that three. And then you, you hope for Bale, Kane, and Son to, to do the business for you. Yeah. The thing with Delhi Ali was, as you said, with Mason Mount, it's hard work. With Loftus-Cheek, it's the, the shifts. Delhi Ali has always played like this for me, but... Yes, four me years too. Ago, four years ago, he was scoring goals. In 2016, he got 18 goals in the Prem. Before that, it was 10. Season after, he dropped to nine. And then since then, he hasn't passed nine again. And without the goals, Delhi Ali is effectively reduced to a nothing footballer. He tries, and he does the same one shift. He tries to push it to his legs, but he doesn't have the, the long-legged glided motion. To me, Delhi Ali looks like he watched a lot of Kaka videos. But he's caca on slow motion playing yeah. against, but, you know, like if you put Delhi Ali against players in the, the championship, he would look like the world's best player on the earth because he's, he would be playing at a speed way above them. But when he, but playing at, play, playing in the Premier League or playing in the UEFA Champions League or playing for England, no, you're playing against players who can play at the same speed that, playing at a faster speed than at a lower league level. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that Delhi Ali will only look good against championship-level players. Yeah, I agree. I don't need to get into Delhi Ali because he's just not worth my time. But I'm a bit annoyed because, you know, he's an England player and I really wanted the best for him, but I never rated him at first. I still don't. But lastly, though, I just want to talk to you quickly. Worst run club, you know, a lot of Manchester United fans are frustrated and they're talking about, you know, why we can't get this deal done, why we can't get that deal done. It's the Chelsea going about the business. I know they say Liverpool signing Thiago. So it's just a simple mathematical question. Um, if one, if they are getting one and they are getting one and we are getting none and they were as good as us in Chelsea's case or better than us in Liverpool's case, how do we plan on becoming Manchester United again? And what's your answer to that? Um, worst run club between Barcelona and Manchester. I don't think there's actually a contest. Barcelona is the worst run club in the world. It might be the worst run organization in any <laughs> field in the world. I don't think Manchester United are run terribly. I can understand why fans are frustrated, especially in this day and age where the 
way to success in most fans' eyes is we need to sign somebody immediately. But I personally don't think Manchester United are rotten terribly right now. They've done some things in the past where I would say that's probably not the best way to run the club, such as they hired Ole immediately instead of waiting until the summer and interviewing possibly other players. I thought that was bad management, quote-unquote, but I didn't have a problem with them hiring Ole. They've made some bad signings in the past, for sure. Every club has done that. But overall, I just think it's fans being dramatic for the sake of being dramatic because they're afraid of the coming season. Barcelona, on the other hand, effectively, they have no management. They've destroyed their finances. Um, they essentially almost ran Lionel Messi out of the football club. Lionel Messi, who is Barcelona, they almost ran him out of the club. They've destroyed their youth system. Um, they have actually hired marketing teams to criticize their own players. Like, let's be real. There's no comparison. I agree with you on that. There's no comparison, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Manchester United fans, I understand the frustration and that they need, there's no excitement and everyone can see the problems that their bench wasn't very good. The manager is limited, so they need to get certain players in critical positions, whether it be another attacker, another left back, but they just didn't get it. Um, so that's unfortunate. So Manchester United is going to have to hope on improvement from Martial, Rashford, Pogba, and Bruno. So that's, that's just going to be critical. They did sign the central midfielder from, from Holland. Uh, you can pronounce his name better than I can. Van de Beek. Yes. So that, that there's that. Hopefully Shaw can keep, keep form. Maguire can stay, off, stay out of prison. <laughs> so there's that. And, you know, it's still time to sign somebody else. I really was a little disappointed that Jack Grealish decided to stay with Aston Villa. And it made me lose a little bit of respect for him. You know, um, it really did. You know, I, he, like, you know, it comes a point. He's, he's 24, 25 years old. I can understand if he was 18, 19, 20, you know, you're nostalgic, you're a young kid. But, you know, you have to realize Aston Villa is going nowhere in football. They're, they're a team of nothing. And, you know, he's the type of player that I would like to see playing for England. And if you were getting going into your prime, you should be looking at trusting your own ability and going to a better club and playing against better opposition and playing with better players. So a bit of I lost, a bit of respect. I lost, I lost, I lost about 50% of my respect for him. So, you know, well, this whole nonsense about, oh, it would be so nice if he stayed there. Why would it be so nice? Aston Villa is trash. Um, yeah. And he's not going to get better. So it's a yeah, bit of so. a Zaha situation, essentially, when Zaha signed that new contract. Uh, eventually, you have to put some pressure on the club to say, hey, you need to sell me. Sign well, that- well, Zaha did want to go, but the money that they were going to try and put out, put out for him was a bit ridiculous. And I do understand. Jack Grealish, though, has had the ability, I do believe, to, to get out of Aston Villa. Um, I agree. I think if he, because- if, he didn't get, if he didn't get the move this summer, he probably would have gotten it next summer if he didn't summer, yeah. He definitely would have gotten it next summer. He definitely would have gotten it next because it would have been two years left on his deal. Aston Villa would have likely either been relegated or close to relegation again. And they would have said, okay, um, last, this year was 80 million. He has two years left. He probably would have gone down to that 50 to 60 million range. And we would have seen. So, but hey, if Aston Villa... I'm sure if Aston Villa get relegated, he can move next summer. But I'm pretty sure he signed that contract thinking they're going to get relegated. 
Well, we, we don't know the full details of the contract. There might, there might be some get-out clause. And speaking of get-out clause, I wanted to go back to Manchester United quickly uh, in regards to that worse run thing. The reason I think a lot of fans are equating that has to do with transfers, right? But yes. if you were in charge of Manchester United, this, here's the argument. They missed out on Holland in um, January because Holland demanded a bio clause. They then missed out this summer on regular on the left back as well because Real Madrid wanted a buyback clause. A lot of it's polarizing because some Manu fans are saying just sign them. It doesn't matter about the clauses. While some are saying big clubs like Manu don't sign clauses. Only Spurs and Dortmund would do that. What's your thought? My thought is, if a player you believe is good enough, you get the player in and you deal with everything afterwards. Yep. I agree. You think the player is good enough? You think if you think that Jaden Sancho is one of the twenty best players in the world, you pay the extra. You pay the extra money. It doesn't matter. But it's so easy for me to say that because it's not my money. Yes. And that's something to always remember. It's not my money. We all. I, I'm spending other people's money. So there's always that though, and that that's 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 the problem. Yeah, but, I was thinking about it. I was even asking this question in January when it came up that Holland went to Dortmund. Holland reportedly has a $50 million buyout clause that activates in 2021, which he wanted if he had joined Manchester United. I asked the question, if you sign Holland in January 2020, but what, it was like $20 million Dortmund signed him for, and he leaves after a, a year and a half for 50, and he gives you a great production in that year and a half, would you necessarily be upset? Some people said, yep, for sure, that's a waste of our time. Some said, well, we got great production for a year and a half. I kind of side with that latter part. I would have signed Holland because Holland is an exceptional player. I'd rather have him at my club for a year and a half than never have him at all. And why do you think that he would leave Manchester United? Manchester United is one of the five biggest clubs in the world. If not the biggest club in the world, there's very few clubs that could match the salary that you could pay him. Yep, true. But... He reportedly does have eyes on, Man- on Real Madrid. And, Real- and Manchester don't like selling players to Real Madrid because of Ronaldo. Yeah, you're going to always lose out to Real Madrid and Barcelona because of how the standing that, pe- that players have. So there's that, though. Anyway, Stefan, it's good chat- chatting with you. Hope to catch-, catch up with you next week. And enjoy the football games this weekend. All yeah. right. Peace.